0: Good morning. Good morning, yeah. Uh,
1: uh, well, thanks so much for talking to us about this, man, because this is, this is one of the, the, the big projects that, like, I know fandom really wants to know more about. I know I did. Um, and uh, so I was wondering, I think we should probably just start, uh, like, at the origin of this version of, of, of the project. Like, what um, – I, I know that in the timeline of what you were doing – um, it kind of came after you were on Hobbit, and then uh, yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was actually yeah. the,
2: the project I landed right after the Hobbit. Yeah, and uh, it was uh, you know I was I met with Jim Cameron right after the return from New Zealand, and he said, uh, "Why don't you do a Battle Angel?" Mm. You know, we we talked about it for a long, long time, and uh, I read the draft he had, I made my own pass even mm. and uh but Battle Angel was so Jim's thing because you know, it it went back to the days around ninety four ninety five, yeah, when mm, I, I used to stay at his house in Malibu and uh, we would watch anime. Mm. And I remember him showing me Pat Labor hmm. on laserdisc. Yeah. And then I said, "Oh, you gotta see this laser disc of a movie called Battle Angel," and we saw it together back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he liked it, but he loved it so much secretly that he got the rights. And then he said, "Why don't you do it?" And I said, "Sure," but he he had he, it had become an obsession for him. Mm. Like he, he had read all the books, he had envisioned it as a saga, and. Uh, as I was developing this with him m- back from The Hobbit I said you know what you you seem to absolutely get it and I think that I'd rather do movies that will not get made without me mm. this movie will get made with someone one day and I said I'd rather do uh, Mountains of Madness which was frozen already because mm. uh, I started developing it uh, don't know, like, uh, I don't know, like 97, 95, I don't know. So he, he he said, oh, sure, you know, I'll co-produce it with Don Murphy and Monfort myself. Yeah. And we went on to, um, to present it. I mean, a, at that point, um, uh, you know, Tom Cruise had seen Pan's Labyrinth and loved it, and we became friends. And he uh, wanted to read anything I had. He read the strain in galleys, mm-hmm. the strain books in galleys, and he loved them. And then he said, what else? And I sent him Monte Cristo, and he loved it. And then I, he said, what else? And I said, I sent him Mountains of Madness, and he loved it. And he said, which one of these you want to do? And I said, well, you know, I think you would be perfect for mountains because uh, everybody's used to you winning the day. And it would be great for you to actually be part of a doomed <laughs> expedition where nobody nobody wins, yeah, and you know, he loved that idea and, we, and so I told jim and Jim said that's fantastic, and then we went uh, shopping with the
1: movie now i mean we should go back to just your adoration of lovecraft's yeah uh, period because without without that you i mean it seems like that it, it's been it's so ingrained in your uh, in, in your uh, uh, visual style, and you know, in the stu- your your personal fetish- fetishes and stuff that you like, you know, you can trace so much of that back to Lovecraft. So, uh, what what age did you?
0: Were you, you were eleven when you first read this one? Was this oh, the first one that you read?
2: No, the first one I read was uh, what is it called in in, in English? The Outsider.
0: Mm.
2: And The Outsider, I read. Uh, my brother had. I mean, I I, I was a voracious reader. And uh, I think I may have read something else, but didn't make an impression because I'm pretty sure he was included in the Forey Ackerman anthology. Mm. Probably was, but I I read the first one that made an impression was The Outsider, and it was curiously enough in my brother's literature uh, book, school text. He he was older than me by two years, mm-hmm. and I was I would read anything that was near. I mean, I read my uh, my. Parents' entire library, I read uh, anything at any moment. And my brother, we were coming back from school, and uh, it was a summer. I was probably, I don't know, four, or five, like around ten or nine. Yeah, you know. And uh, he left his book uh, in the car, and I, as we were going, the driver would pick my brother up, my sister up, myself up and uh, we would go to the house and then uh, along the way uh, I grabbed my brother's uh, book and I started browsing and I saw this illustration Mm -hmm. that was really creepy for the outsider and I started reading and everybody, we arrived to the house everybody went out of the car went into the house I stayed in the car (laughs) without air conditioner and I started sweating and I kept reading, I kept reading and and by the end of the story I thought this is this is the best writer (laughs) I've ever read I was super enthusiastic and I I just wanted to know more about Lovecraft and I went book shopping I found a couple of volumes Mm, fortunately for me in the 70s early 70s Lovecraft was having a resurgence by very good translators in Barcelona and in uh, Argentina and so there were a lot of books available on Lovecraft in Spanish a lot it was a golden time for uh, science fiction publishing and horror f- uh, fiction publishing in, in Spanish language, and uh, I, I then read, you know, all the short stories. I it was a beautiful, beautiful book uh, compiling the Cthulhu Mythos mm-hmm. that included all the precursors: Lord Donsany, William Hope Hudson, mm-hmm. Algernon Blackwood, Arthur Machen. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a really good book, and then it compiled uh, and organized the myths because they were never really organized yeah. officially. It was like a circle of people like Robert Bloch or Robert E. Howard, uh, Lovecraft, uh, Clark Ashton Smith, mm-hmm. that kind of riffed on these things, you know? But Lovecraft never quite made it a, a Lovecraft verse, <laughs> so to speak, you know? Yeah. it was, And this book organized them. <coughs> and then in the introduction, they talked about Edgar Allan Poe, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, uh, they talked about that epic scale existing in Lovecraft's novella, The Mountains of Madness. Mm -hmm. So I went and looked at The Mountains of Madness, and I got it, and and I read it, and it was beautiful because, you know, I had read Dracula and Frankenstein, which in some form are both epistolary novels. You know, they are, especially Dracula is cribbed from documents, you know, letters, diary entries, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that I was reading uh, the literary equivalent to sort of uh, a documentary, you know, mm-hmm. it was it was like a National Geographic Exploration meets Horror, Lockhart was incredibly precise about using cutting science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, u- using science. And he was incredibly precise about exactly how the Dornier planes, which were German planes, were assembled. They were super light planes that you could disassemble the wings and fold them. And they were made of aluminum. Uh, They were the lightest planes. They were used in Antarctic exploration. He knew how they folded. He knew how many would fit in a ship. He really, really did. How many dogs would be on a sled? How many dogs would a ship accommodate? So all that was fascinating to read. And uh, I I I remember I wanted to see it as a movie, not yeah. make it yet. I was too young. Yeah. But I said I I would love to see this as a movie.
1: I mean, you're right. It's incredibly precise. Like, um, uh, you know, he uses very specific, you know, like uh, biological. You know terminology, and you know in the autopsy, the fossils, and and the, fossils the,
2: and the,
1: the, the 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 samples, the, samples the drill samples, yeah. the drill
2: samples. He's very precise about how those are done. Yeah, he's accurate, technically accurate.
1: All before the internet, so yeah. he actually knew this. <laughs>
2: well, he he, and that well, that's the reason this house exists because mm. I, I really like try not to Google. Yeah, I try to go to the books and read. Mm. You
0: know? One of the things that I found going to going to School for Anthropology was that He held up uh, All these years later in terms of The, the science and the precision of everything uh, was, was Staying really close to the way that He told the story part of, part of your initial conception of how you wanted To make it as a movie Or the, the version that is, is What most recently almost happened At Universal is it, is it more Toward that end or is it closer to a stricter Adaptation of the novella
2: no, the yeah. novella. The novella for it to exist, it would it, it it would be possible, but it would be the most expensive mockumentary uh, <laughs> ever made. You know, it yeah. would be really yeah. a mixture. Uh, I think that it can be made for for a different scale, and yeah. I actually am considering starting from scratch again yeah. in the near future and do a new screenplay um, openly. You yeah. know. But at the same time, uh, to do that, that would be the version that would be the most faithful. Mm, that would yeah. be the one that, uh, that would be closest to the book. Uh, but then you've got to do it for very little to keep the style of it arid. Mm. The book is very arid. And out of that uh, sort of um, almost aloof position towards the horror, when the horror emerges, it's really shocking. So is 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 the is this veneer the veneer of uh, reality is what gives the the book its power.
1: Yeah, no, it's a very desolate book. Mm-hmm. You know, you you do you feel you feel the vastness of of the ice, and you feel yeah, uh, you know, in a weird way. Like um, I think the witch recently kind of tapped into that feeling, but with the frontier, you know, with the the openness, anything could be out there. In a way, yeah. Over. I
2: mean, I think. Uh, I think that's wha- that's why the Wendigo, the Algernon Blackwood story, mm-hmm. or or the Willows, you know, and these are things that evoke the vast indifference of nature, yeah. you know, and but also the terror, uh, Robert McCammon's The Terror, which mm-hmm. Ridley Scott just turned into a TV series. That I always thought the terror was almost a riff on Mountains of Madness, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, who goes there,
1: Campbell? Yeah. No. Very much, yeah. No, it's uh, it's funny, you know, rereading the story. Um, uh, just you know, I, I didn't realize as a kid how much uh, Carpenter kind of took a lot of because a lot of what's in his movie isn't so much in the original Howard Hawks production, right? It, it's a it's a lot more, um, you know, the Shagoth. you know, it's a lot more that kind yeah. of kind of creature. Well, I,
2: I I much prefer the Carpenter version,
1: yeah, because.
2: To me, obviously, it caught me at the right time. Yeah. But to me, it also... People still, to this day, complain about the characters, and I, I'm amazed at that, because they are great characters.
1: Huh? Yeah, who's yeah. complaining? Let's go kick their ass.
2: Some people, <laughs> some people complain about it still, that they, that all the characters are interchangeable. What? But, and I'm amazed. They're uh, not watching know. the movie. No.
0: In the original novella itself... Were there specific things visually that you seized on as, as things that, that you wanted to portray as faithfully to the novella as you could and things that you felt you needed to run in exactly the opposite direction and do something different with visually?
2: Well, I mean, there are moments that are sort of the landmarks of the novella that you want to preserve. Mm. I mean, I, I always I, what I did is I, when I was preparing it, I, I started working with Gahan Wilson, who is a Lovecraft expert, and I said to Gehan, what are the moments that you think we must get, Mm -hmm. you know? And we made a little list, and we were just riffing as friends, you know? He's an illustrator I admire tremendously, and he said, uh, well, I would love to see the moment when they're autopsying Mm -hmm. the human, the old ones, you know? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately they are scientists, you know? And they are curious, and they were autopsied mm-hmm. themselves by the human, so they're vivisecting the human, <laughs> in the, in, in the, and it's a really horrific moment. And then we talked about uh, obviously in the introduction of the shoguns. I mean, the shoguns for a lot of people would be now carpenters, the thing, mm-hmm. but that's what they are. I mean, they can shape shift. And then I added another layer that was not in the in the book, and in fact. Uh, We were able to sustain one of the things that was very unfriendly for many of the drafts of the movie is that there was uh, the love story, so to speak, was a love story between friends, Mm between colleagues. It was a a group of scientists that were uh, truly, uh, they have this camaraderie, you know, which was what uh, what happened in the, the, which is what I love about the thing, the Carpenter's the thing, Mm -hmm. that is... A story of friendship, I I think that there is an ambiguous element to the ending that a lot of people misread in the thing. I I feel that the beauty of the ending of the thing is that they both know that either the other guy is the thing or that they maybe even be the thing because the, 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 the existential question in Carpenter is the thing not only replicates self, not only replicates tissue, not only replicates an organism, it can talk like the guy
1: it would be his the personality Im- exactly so
2: therefore the the on- the ontological question mm-hmm. is uh, can the thing replicate the soul mm-hmm. Is the thing aware that it is the thing yeah, you know, and that's that's the the, 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 the moment at the end is you could be the thing and not know it, mm-hmm. and maybe what kicks up is a it's a hardwired thing, a defense mechanism, you know, the way mm-hmm. a dog, you can pet a dog all your life but never try to fuck with his foot. Yeah. his <laughs> foot, you know, because yeah. it will growl. Yeah. It's, it's a hardwired thing. Yeah. So maybe you don't know you're the thing. Yeah. Maybe you're not trying to deceive. Maybe you think it is ridiculous. Maybe that's the ultimate mm. defense mechanism of the thing.
1: Being so sure that you're not... You know, and you kind of see that in Carpenter's movie too, when I when he it's a, when uh, it's a complete masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, when he, I'm now blanking on the character's name and feeling awful. Uh, but when the the power, the gun is offered to the one that Doris. actually is a thing. Yeah, Doris. yeah, when it actually is offered to him and he just says, "I don't want it." I don't want it. You know, it's like if he was a thing, and he the ultimate goal was to be. You know, it, you could say that he was. That's an ultimate form of camouflage, but I think that it's more interesting. To say that you know that the, that was Norris's. Well, that's my,
2: my analysis yeah. of the thing is that. And then I I read I read a beautiful piece by in the New Beverly website by Kim Morgan mm-hmm. in which she said, well, uh, the ending is beautiful because at the end of the day, even if one of them is the thing, they don't want to be alone. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. They don't want to be alone, and they both know they're gonna die. The thing and the human, whoever it is, they both know they're going to die. I mean, I think that's the ultimate injustice when somebody creates not a good movie, not a great movie, but a fucking masterpiece Mm. and it gets ignored Mm. or even worse, booed Mm. and vilified because I I was uh, of enough age to remember uh, even the genre magazines panning the thing. Yeah? I remember the review in Cine Fantastique. I may remember it wrong, but I, I think it read something like, uh, Carpenter sacrifices all for uh, uh, to the altar of gore. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so misguided. Mm-hmm. And now I, you know, I've told this anecdote before. I I had uh, in one dinner, one of the Masters of Horror dinners that we had early on, I, I told John, uh, I said um you must feel really vindicated, because now the thing is regarded as a mm-hmm. masterpiece. What fucking good does it do that do, does that do to me? Yeah. And he's right. As a filmmaker, I, I've done movies that I adore, yeah. that for one reason or another, they didn't connect with the side guys. They went by the wise, y- side, say, y- say. and it, you never recuperate. You never recuperate. You never go. Oh well, everybody likes it now. No, no, no.
1: Yeah, there's always that little. That little feeling um, yeah, because it impacts what you can make next, it impacts it's beyond that i mean it yeah, truly
2: yeah. imagine that you are i mean you, uh, I say it many times, you know for a critic uh, a, a writer, or an audience, these are uh movies yeah, for you it's a biography,
1: yeah.
2: and there's no way you can tell me that you didn't like the last three years of my life. Hmm. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way I can accept it. I mean, I can accept it as an opinion, but I cannot accept it at, at an existential level. No. Because it took. Is the portrait of Dorian Gray in reverse? Yeah. You know. Uh, we are the portrait in the attic, and our movies are
1: the living, the living creature. Then you also get it though when it does connect. Then then you feel like you're kind of sharing. Of course, that's why you keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you're a masochist. Yeah. Or so do you do you think that something like Mount, mountains of madness would have connected, or do you think that it was? I mean, I, obviously, it, it means something to you. It means something to to yeah. us. But that's
2: the beauty of the thing. Yeah, you don't care.
1: Yeah. See, that's the paradox. Interesting. You
2: care when they don't, but you don't care when you're making them.
1: Yeah.
0: What uh, what part of it, what part of it were you most hoping to impact people, to shock people, to surprise people?
2: No, you know, the, the uh, I, I, we we started. We started really playing with surreal horror in the script. And, uh, I mean, the creatures that we were attempting have never been seen, have to this day never been seen uh, on any medium. Uh, Guy Davis uh, and I illustrated a couple of the scenes with the storyboards. They were very shocking. I mean, they were shocking and they were. It was not a gory movie. And it was very much about impossibilities, you know, about the scope of the thing. You know, when you landed the plane in the ruins and you saw the size of the ruins, and the fact that if you think ergonomically, the city was designed for walking cucumbers (laughs) and (laughs) flying cucumbers. So ergonomically, when you talk about steps, they're hardly steps. You know, Lovecraft describes this in a way that is human in my opinion he was uh, inspired by the pa- uh, paintings of Roerich, mm-hmm. you know but the paintings of Roerich have these concrete forms that are very much ergonomically designed by humans meaning we are bipeds we need a certain step in, 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 in using a staircase correct we fit through a door frame uh, or living spaces are designed for our size mm-hmm. roughly six foot tall mm-hmm. you know Roughly a foot and a half wide, mm-hmm. you
1: know? Roughly. Roughly.
2: Some of us. We'll us. But what I mean is, what, the exercise we were making is, okay, what would a city be? What would a window be for a flying, sliding, crawling cucumber?
1: Well, I mean, it's already weird when you, like, go and you see, like, sets that were built for, you know, in the 20s and 30s for people who are much shorter. Mm-hmm. And the doorways are shorter and the windows are closer to the ground. And there's already a feeling of unease I get when I... Go around that, and that's and yeah. that seems like you're taking that would have been the next. I remember crazy level.
2: one of the artifacts I bought in Canada was uh, a denture from a soldier, made of ivory. Uh, a, dent, a fake dentures from a soldier in Napoleonic Wars. Mm-hmm. They were almost the size of a child, and it was an adult soldier. When you buy boots or bayonets or you know from people from the 19th century, you see they were incredibly.
1: Yeah. So the large people are natural evolution. We're the real X Men. Yeah, but
2: but 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 uh, but (laughs) what I mean is, when we were designing, we were designing to to say, okay, what's a doorway for one of Of these things? What's a plaza? Why would they need a plaza? So we were design. We designed a thing I called the the kitchen, Hmm. which was really nightmarish, (laughs) you know, because how would they cook? What would they eat? Hmm. You know, Uh, I mean, this uh, and the thing is. Um very I was very aware that uh, alien, the first alien, mm-hmm. was very much a riff on Mantes mm-hmm. Uh it's a ship on an uh in this case not an exploration, but it's a ship mm-hmm. transporting it's a tanker, mm-hmm. right? Gets an SOS, goes to an abandoned city slash spaceship, mm-hmm. sees that a shape-shifting alien killed its masters. Mm-hmm. There is in the original screenplay and the original movie. There was a mural exactly like in the novel, mm-hmm. explaining how the creatures rebelled and killed the masters. Mm-hmm. Then they find the creature, and then it becomes alien. Yeah. You know, but the the the, the very setup is very much Montezuma's Land. And then came Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I heard the name, I didn't know anything about the blood. I knew. <laughs> oh my God! That's mountains of madness. Yeah, they're gonna have created life on Earth. Yeah, which is the punchline. Of course, spoilers ahead. <laughs> you know, the punchline of the novel is they created man as a joke. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, well, that's out of the bag. And then saw the movie, and I think the mountains can still be made. Yeah, but, but the whole point of uh, the this Ridley alien universe is to keep riffing on that.
1: And uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the prep work that you've done because you've said that you've told me that you had. I mean, we've seen, you know, uh, at least on tour, you even have one of the albino Penguin, penguins. Yeah. Um, and and you yeah. told me that you've done like VFX tests and stuff, right? You you've done a whole bunch of stuff like so. H- how much work went into that, and like what did you actually? Well,
2: ILM, ILM was incredibly enthusiastic about making the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Noll uh, said, "Why don't why don't we do a trailer?" Mm. And they did a trailer. He said, um, "I know what you want. Let me cobble up things uh, that we have." Mm. Of course, cobble up in ILM means the triple A star, five star treatment in any other facility. And they made a self-contained, absolutely amazing-looking teaser trailer mm. that was, I thought, inarguable. But then uh, we had developed, uh, for quite a bit, uh, we developed, I think, hundreds of storyboards, Mm. at least 60 or 70 pieces of art that are beautiful, and uh, about six or seven maquettes Mm. that show some of the creatures, Mm. only in the shagoth stage. Mm. And I thought it would be... a horror movie, not not in vogue with what is horror now, yeah. but uh, almost a, a classic. Yeah. You know, I, I when I explained it to Universal, I said this is a neo classic yeah. movie because you're gonna feel like you're watching a classic, but it's gonna be edgier, scarier, much more daring. You know, and and then Carol Spear, the production designer, we started breaking it down and we went into huge research, reproduced the engine room in a 3D model. Mm. We we reproduced the bow, and, uh, and we did the whole ship, and then we, like Lovecraft did, we accommodated the number of planes we needed. We knew how many folded wings we could accommodate, where the dogs would be. Mm-hmm. We broke down the ship, and uh, then we started scouting. And uh, we started scouting, and uh, the movie was presented to Universal, for 150 million, with Tom Cruise starring and Jim Cameron co-producing along with us, mm-hmm. and we were going to open offices uh, on a Monday and on a Friday. I was in near near the uh, border with the North Pole. Mm-hmm. I was in Alaska scouting. I wanted to shoot it really. It's very d- different landscapes, by the way. Okay. Everybody thinks Antarctica looks like. Uh, only snow but Antarctica is really rocky and uh, desolate in a different way than most places but we found a couple of areas up north that we could fly equipment from Canada and I was (coughs) flying in a helicopter in brutal temperatures and Mm -hmm. actually I remember watching we were going over a vast plain of ice Mm -hmm. as far as the eye could see and There was a little snaking shape, black, running through the snow. And we saw it was a a pack of wolves, probably a hundred deep, crossing the ice. And I thought, if this helicopter goes down... (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye world. (laughs) Goodbye world, you know. Somebody uh, gets to eat lunch. Yes, the wolves would have a good time. And then we landed in a little cabin in the middle of nowhere... Uh, that was going to host us for the night while we refueled. And, uh, and even in that distant desolate land, I got a call to my cell phone that said, "You ca- call the studio. And I thought, oh, oh yeah. they're going to cancel. Hmm. I knew because you never get that phone call on hmm. a Friday that urgent. Uh, if, if there's a phone call,
1: it's bad news. So what was the... So, so they had tentatively agreed, and then they backed well, out. It was, it
2: was a we had a Mexican standoff, never better put, hmm. you know about the <laughs> about the rating. Yeah, I wanted it to be our, not because I wanted to go gory, mm-hmm. but because I wanted to keep it adult, intense.
1: Well, in intense intensity. and brutal.
2: Yeah. What I what I said is is there's not gonna be gore, but I wanna see, I wanna see when, if people get broken in half, I wanna see that happen, you know, the book is not boring, the book is not uh, violent, but you, the book is only filmable as a certain type of thing that I thought at that moment would, did, didn't have the, um, the scale I wanted, and so if you're making a movie that big, you want to deliver uh, intensity, I thought, in the moments that yeah. you can
1: no, I mean, you, ha- you have to be able to, to pay off the the whole conceit of the old ones and, and the conceit of... And the, the size, the size, and the size of the, the city. Of, yeah, I mean,
2: uh, a matte painting is a matte painting is a matte painting. No matter how great the matte painting is, is a matte painting. You need to actually build uh, enormous sets yeah. that dwarf the actors. That was, that's what was extraordinary about the first Alien. Where Ridley was able to dress those his kids mm-hmm. in the spacesuits, in the mini spacesuits, yeah. to put them to wander around in the sets, you know.
1: So that phone call that you did from that that remote cabin, uh, you had you had the premonition that it was it was you know the feeling that this wasn't going to be a good call. Yeah. Um, so what what was their reasoning? Was it just we can't fund it? No, at this price it, was, this? it was.
2: I mean, I tell you, I, I I I see I see exactly the reason, and I and I would actually. You know, as a businessman, mm-hmm. I, w- I wouldn't be shocked to hear it. Because yeah. they say, look, it's 150, it is a star, but it's R.
0: Mm.
2: And it's a genre that never does this. Mm-hmm. You know, what I was trying to do was to go back to the scale of The Exorcist, mm. or The Shining, mm. or The Omen, even. Mm-hmm. The Omen was a prestige movie. But, uh, you know, I, I thought that's a really interesting marriage. Size and scope, and still in the genre because I've been doing movies for twenty five years, and my twenty five years have been uh, about. Uh, I want to make movies that are normally done one way. I want to do them another. Yeah. I want to do them as pieces of art or entr- entrepreneurially gigantic. You know, you want
1: to you want to be the explorer too. Yeah, you want you want to um, push the boundaries. It's like yeah. you know. Because I know at that time, like, an R-rated movie was, like, it, ca- it had a cap. Yeah. Especially an R-rated horror movie. I think Cannibal was, like, the, the most profitable one at that time. But do you think, like, now, today, with, like, the success of It, you know, that's an R-rated, you know, kind of big... It's not... I wouldn't call it a prestige movie, but it does take itself oh, yeah, seriously. It's a, very, it's a very... I mean, I think... It's Andy, a very well-done movie. And this is the real deal. And the
2: movie is narratively... Uh, creative and uh, it has moments of great beauty and eerie eerie poetry and all that you know I don't know I mean I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure if now would be the time I I would say this the next time I attempt it I'm gonna attempt it only if I really think it's gonna happen because it is too draining
1: yeah
2: Uh, you know, you have no idea how draining it is. It really, uh, the reason I made Shape of Water is because I really, uh, there was a point uh, in many, many ways, in many, many arenas in which the last five or 10 years have been really, really hard. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this movie and I'm going to just be completely fearless about it and I'm gonna do whatever I want, and it may very well be my last movie. I don't care, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And that's the way you live it, but mountains left an almost uh, PTSD <laughs> <laughs> feeling as a yeah. filmmaker, as a filmmaker, because it, it was two two years, almost a year and a half, of prepping, mm-hmm. and uh, then bam, you know? And And uh, you question yourself, you say, okay, uh, I have Tom Cruise. I have Jim Cameron, I have a, a screenplay that I think is really solid. I have images that nobody has ever seen, and I couldn't get it made. What what goes, you no know? One. And then and then you know, it really it really it really puts a dent on you. And that's why I tell you, I understand uh, Carpenter. Mm-hmm. I think John really is uh, a case of a great American filmmaker yeah. that uh, was out of pace with the time, out of pace with the time. Yeah. George Romero, same thing mm-hmm. for me. For me, George is the, if not the greatest, one of the greatest indie directors mm-hmm. in American cinema. He's the John Cassavetes of horror mm-hmm. in a way. He's a, he was a perennial rebel, mm-hmm. a guy that was never domesticated, mm-hmm. a guy that refused to conform, and he didn't exactly get rewarded for it, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, if you watch Martin, you know, for example, that's like masterpiece. Mm, yeah, and, and it's and it's a movie that if anybody else had made it, it would have been like the best movie that they could have ever made in their life. Yeah, you know, and and, and his gets dwarfed in the, the you know that one gets lost to the to the the, zombie. the filmography. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, no, it's incredible. Well,
2: George Burdett, uh, nobody has, uh, nobody else has done it. George birthed an entire subgenre.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wrote the rules. He he set the template. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But
2: nobody else. Nobody. Nobody else has done
0: it. Yeah. Are there any of these guys like John? Who I mean, John. John worked on Dark, Dark Star with Dan O'Bannon, who did Alien. Dark Star had plenty of Lovecraft DNA in it. Any of your fellow masters of horror that you that you've talked to about this on this very long journey? That you found yourself on with Mountains of Madness, any of them that you've you've bounced ideas off of, that you've that you've you've talked to, you know their their thoughts, their feelings about the, the different parts. No, of No, no, because
2: when you get together, the last thing you want to talk is about horror. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. you do talk about this and that, but it's not a knitting circle. Yeah. You know, we don't say hey, you know, but but you want to talk about their life, their camera work, yeah. their you want to talk about editing, you want to talk about. Uh, just their opinion On the latest movies You ask them About their movies But no one says Hey I have this idea What do you think you know? <laughs> yeah. go, oh, It's not the Joy Luck Club you know? <laughs> we, we get, uh, uh, And then The the really terrifying Thing on those dinners Is who You know Dividing the check Because <laughs> yeah. a, a, a few of them Always try to slip <laughs> <laughs> You know I, I, I won't say anything <laughs> so, But there's a couple That try to Run away before the check arrives.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I my babysitters. Yeah, yeah.
2: I'm sorry. I gotta go. I got a <laughs> phone call. You know, <laughs>
0: as they're scooping up their last yeah, dessert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, okay. Uh, as, as uh, you know, not. That, to that's sort of no, that's, that,
2: that's where the name "masters of horror" came, because we were in the first dinner, and it was not called that. It was just a dinner, and then somebody had a birthday in the other table. And I, I went, I said, let's go and sing happy birthday to them. So Carpenter, Landis, Joe Dante, we all, go, uh, I, we all went and sang happy birthday. And I said, you may be unaware, but the Masters of Horror just sang you a happy birthday. And then we started joking. And I said, the Masters of Horror, divide the check. You know, the Masters of Horror checked that they didn't order two Diet Cokes. <laughs> and then we were outside and I said, the Masters of Horror give their tickets to the ballet parking <laughs> and then I said, Who of the Masters of Horror will tip? Who will not? And it was a joke, you know? And then that's where the series came from, yeah.
1: yeah. Talking a little bit about your uh, ideas of going practical, were you wanting to do, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. you had to do a meld. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, we had, we had, we budgeted it. Uh, th- that was part of what was made in movie 115 yeah. that there was a massive amount of physical effects. Yeah. Because I didn't thin- think the materials and the techniques that we can use today mm-hmm. would allow a blend of uh, physical and digital that would be really spectacular.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, is it, were you thinking of going with Spectral again, or was that going to be... I was going
2: way? to... Uh, well, Spectral is the one that did the maquettes and yeah. did the budget, yeah.
1: And so Spectral for the VFX and ILM was going to... Spectral for the, yeah, that's m- the
2: physical effects,
1: effects yeah. yeah. And, uh, and ILM for VFX.
2: Yeah, ILM did a really thorough budget and we I mean I wish uh, you could see the little test it's really amazing
1: yeah is that uh, under lock and key at Universal is that the no 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 I,
2: I have a, a copy it's just I, I'm very 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 mindful of uh,
0: the fact that contracts and lawyers <laughs>
2: well no it was, it was not actually uh, it, it's, it's a gray area because ILM did it on their own yeah we no, no money was exchanged but you know gray area is a gray area
1: yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, there's uh, there's also uh, an aspect of respect to yeah, you know, to uh, and
2: and by the uh, way, you know, I think that uh, uh, the parting with Universal was so amicable, mm. you know, that if I went back and tried to do it again, that would be the, the place I would go to first.
1: Even though they dumped you over the phone while you were freezing your ass, no, off? no, 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 <laughs> no, because
2: the the actual the phone call was. Uh, can you meet on monday okay. no yeah. yeah okay so the the actual meeting took place on monday uh, in California uh, but again, the universal also is the the studio that financed the thing
0: mm.
2: you know and and therefore uh the, somewhere in the books there is that uh, red flag expensive red uh, expensive are rated all male ensemble antarctica warning yeah,
1: well and it's and it's interesting though like because just the way e- executives and the money people are bred nobody wants to think in the long term like i've had that argument with people because i'm sure at this point with as much merchandising and with as much you know uh, you know retro screenings and blu-rays and dvds the thing's probably turned to profit
2: yeah but beyond that i mean look it's well, the new one too if you no. if you go north a hundred, yeah, the rules change yeah I, I, I know it, and it's an, an interesting exercise. I liked it, mm-hmm. and I, you know I plan to play in that arena again, yeah. in that size, but uh, you need to know that it's a different game. It's like playing college football mm-hmm. and playing in the NFL yeah. It's a very different exercise. And and I understand that they want to know that they have a sequel. You know, because the books, the amortization of the resources and the amortization of the mm-hmm. what they call the IP, mm-hmm. you know, uh, only makes sense if you can make two or three movies.
1: So the only way that, that they, like in today's market, the way you'd probably, the only way you could pitch it is is like... Y- an extended Lovecraft universe. The only, the only way, you, the only
2: way this movie should be made,
1: yeah,
2: in the present uh, conditions, is under eighty million dollars, yeah. because then, uh, I think that the worst thing you can do, is to then say, oh, that's what that's what cost over one hundred and fifty. Let's, let's make sure that we can get a sequel now.
1: Yeah.
2: do the right movie or don't do it at all. So, yeah. go smaller.
1: Yeah, you
2: know. So if it happens, it'll happen smaller. Doesn't mean. I mean, it doesn't mean it has to happen less spectacularly. I think that uh, the exercise in making Shape of Water for less than $19.5 million mm. and having the scope we have, you know, is a very good proof that I, you know, I will be able to deliver it at a certain scale, even with that budget, mm. you know, that, that a few years ago was not thinkable.